Revelations. Revelation chapter 21. Right at the end. The end of the end. It's getting good now, isn't it? It's getting pretty uh, pretty serious and final, but also pretty glorious. Okay, so we're in uh, Revelation chapter 21. Where should we start reading from? Let's start reading from verse 22. How are you doing? You found it? Yeah? Amazing. 21, Revelation 21, verse 22, and we're going to read into chapter 22. Okay, let's go. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord, the God Almighty, the Lamb, are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it, and nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more nights. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God Almighty will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Wowza. Okay, so we've come. Uh, yeah, this is this is my last last talk. Ah, oh. oh, you did it. I know that you did it um, without being prompted. It's fine. <laughs> um, this evening's talk is called The City. We've had the garden, then we had the house, then we've had the feast, and now we've got the city. And what a vision we have here of eternity in Revelation 22. It is so, so beautiful, isn't it? Yesterday, we, um, we've gazed on the perfection of um, God's dwelling place, of the new heavens and the new earth, the perfection that God is creating and which, by the power of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, his saving grace for us, we too are invited into that holy city, that beautiful um, and glorious ending. And so God's own dwelling place, the city that we see described here, is this giant cube of God's completion and perfection and fullness. And there's not going to be a temple or a specific place where God lives or, um, or where we go to worship because the whole place is going to be lit up by God's presence and God's glory and, his, and our worship of him 
will uh, be filling the new heavens and the new earth. Do you remember we've had our, um, gosh, where have they gone? The discs, they were used for magic. Now they've disappeared. There literally is magic. They've gone. The yellow, oh, there they are. Sorry. Ah, oh, Elliot, thanks. Can you hold them, actually? Thanks so much. So we had, I don't have a PowerPoint tonight, actually, because my laptop died, sorry. So um, in Eden, they were together, weren't they? They were, uh, we just had, we just had uh, them together as a kind of a green dot. And then uh, with sin coming into the world, they separated. And we've got God's dwelling place as heaven and uh, humans dwelling place as earth. Then Jesus Christ dies on the cross. He does exactly what Elliot is doing perfectly now, hooray, and stretches his arms wide, doesn't he? Not just to defeat the sin um, in our own lives, but to reconcile the heavens and the earth. So now as we come to the end, the holy city is of the heavens, the new heavens and the new earth. God's dwelling place and our dwelling place will be one. They'll be together. Thanks so much, Elliot. The throne of God. Look at verse 3 of chapter 22. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And so right at the core, right at the center of God's perfect new creation is a throne. Right at the center of this new creation is a throne. And there, God will reign forever. Right at the center of all of this restoration and renewal is the kingship of God. He is sovereign of heaven and earth. He is the rightful king. He is full of power and might, of glory and splendor. And he will be at the center of this new creation. And Habakkuk tells us, one of the prophets from the Old Testament, you see how we've looked at a couple of the the, uh, prophets of the Old Testament and what they were saying and what the people of God were saying. They're all pointing to Jesus and Jesus is pointing us to the end of time. Habakkuk says, the, uh, the new heavens and the new earth, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. What a beautiful image. This is what all of history is pointing to, this beautiful, glorious ending. Have a look then uh, in uh, chapter 21, verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it. The glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. Even the fact that the sun and the moon, the two great lights, which play such an important part, don't they, today in uh, this first creation, they will be redundant in themselves. We won't even need those. Even they, even the sun and the moon are signposts to this glorious ending. God himself is going to be the light of the people, shining and radiant. And slowly we kind of, you know, when, um, uh, I don't know, maybe one of your leaders has done this this week, and your room's in darkness, and then someone switches the light on, and you kind of rub your eyes like, oh, man, it's so bright. 
But as we rub our eyes, as we kind of come to, we realize that Genesis 1, that good beginning that God created, was all pointing to something more. It wasn't just an end in itself. It was good. But God is going to perfect it in the new creation. And so then the mystery seems to unfold a bit further. uh, For most of Revelation, we've got the nations and the kings kind of being at war with God. We see it through um, the, the, the whole story of Scripture um, that the nations are hostile towards towards each other, but also towards God. And they have joined in with the evil of the world and the destruction of, uh, of darkness and uh, the, the terrible th- the war that is being waged um, through sin. The nations and the kings have oppressed and opposed. They've rebelled against God and his purposes and his people. But now, God's wider purpose is coming into play. I really encourage you um, to read the book of Revelation at some point. There are some parts of it that are um, really difficult to understand. There are some... um, imagery and some symbols that seem really kind of scary on face value but I encourage you to read it anyway and then to ask questions about it. If you ever have any questions about the Bible, to start with Dave would love to talk to you. Absolutely, look how happily he's nodding. Um, any of you use YouTube? Is YouTube still a thing? Yeah, okay, some nods and some grins. Okay, cool, people on YouTube. Okay, great. Um, there's a, a, a channel on YouTube called The Bible Project, and uh, they post little videos um, that do overviews of each book of the Bible. Can I tell you, the overview of the book of Revelation is outstanding. It is so good. I've watched it so many times in preparation for these talks. Like, honestly, you, you'd be surprised how many times I've watched it. But it is so, so helpful. If you have questions about a book of the Bible that you're reading, go, just go, put it in YouTube. Bible Project, um, uh, Book of Esther, or Book of Genesis, or Book of Revelation, and go and go and find, search out some of those answers to the questions that you have, the things that seem weird. Earlier on in Revelation, in chapter eleven, the witness of God's church results in the nations that have been raging, have been waging war against God's people. The witness of the church means that the nations turn to worship God. There's like this almighty uh, change in the landscape because of the witness of God's people, because of God's people living for him. The nations change. And so now as we look in verse uh, 24 of um, chapter 21 here, the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Now, as the new heavens and the new earth come together, we have this glorious image of the kings of the earth 
all the um, all their splendor, all the nations, all that they represent, the importance and the um, the rulership and uh, the power that they've held, and now all of that is processing into God's holy place. They bring all their splendor into the city through the gates that are wide open. All their riches, all their wisdom, all their joy is now joining with God's new creation. So the city itself at the center of God's new creation is not a static picture with people simply kind of gazing up like open-mouthed at the throne of God. It's not even just um, like a big worship set, like an, like an eternal sing, sing-along um, in worship to the Lord. That is not at all what eternity is going to be like. Uh, the new heavens and the new earth, the Bible says, are a city with glorious golden streets where God himself is going to be at the center. It's a bustling community. It's filled with activity. As the nations come to worship, they bring everything, uh, their, their livelihoods, their peoples, everything, their wisdom, their splendor, and it all comes in worship to God. This city at the end of time isn't just a matter of people going into the city either, but coming from the city, coming from the throne of God is a river. The water of life is flowing out of the city into the creation around. God's generous love is the source and the goal of all things. And so in this city where God is enthroned, where the kings and the nations are processing in all their splendor and all their glory, so too is there a wellspring of life, of fullness, of life, of joy, of love, flowing out to those who need it. Then it kind of gets even more vivid and crazy, doesn't it? As we look down chapter 22, now there's a tree. And uh, obviously we're all thinking now because we, um, we talked about our good beginning in Genesis and the tree of good and evil. We're thinking now, gosh, the tree, there's another tree. It's another symmetry, isn't it? But there's a tree growing either side of the banks of this river which is going to provide healing, not just for a person, not just for this Adam or that Eve. The vision of John has always been concerned, Revelation has always been concerned with comfort and challenge for the churches. And it's so often hard to see the social and the cultural and political um, uh, kind of how, how all of that is going to fit into this Um, this final reconciliation, this final restoration and renewal, but now the leaves of the tree are for the healing, not of a human, not just of one person or two people, an Adam or an Eve or a you or me, but the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Folks, today, aren't there nations in our world who need healing? Aren't there? 
I'm sure if you just think now, you can think of at least one, one nation of the world, one country that needs healing. Surely you can. In God's new creation, there is provision, there is healing, folks, for all the brokenness and all the pain of this world. God establishes a city of his presence in order that the nations would not only come and worship him, but also would be healed. God establishes a city of his presence not only so nations would come and worship him, but so they would be healed. How beautiful is that? Healing is part of God's new creation. This, folks, is what is waiting for us. Not an eternal holiday in the sky where we all bounce around on clouds and harps like we talked about right at the beginning. But it is an eternity of living in this beautiful city of worship and healing. An eternity of working and resting in God's presence. It's a bustling, thriving, busy garden city of our good beginning and our glorious ending. This world completely remade from top to bottom by the creator, ruling over the earth side by side with Jesus. And we are invited, we are invited to join in that garden city. C.S. Lewis uh, points out, and um, sorry that we don't have this on the screen this evening, C.S. Lewis points out that there have been some amazing moments in human history where Christians have set their eyes on eternity, and that has helped them to do some amazing things on earth. They've set their eyes on eternity, and that has enabled them to do some amazing things on earth. C.S. Lewis says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who were thinking of the next. The apostles themselves who set in motion the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on this earth precisely because their minds were occupied by heaven. It's since Christians have ceased to think of another world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. If you're taking notes this evening, folks, that's something to write down. I'll say it again. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Because if you think that you are en route to some uh, 
some place in the sky where you're just going to sit around with nobody, which I don't really understand how that works anyway, um, and have some kind of spiritual experience, then it's really easy to feel like this life here and now is meaningless. It's your job and your career right now, the people that you meet, your family, uh, justice, cultural renewal, any of those things, they just feel meaningless. But if we wake up to the reality of the renewal and the restoration of the new heaven and the new earth that we are destined for as followers of Jesus, that changes everything. That changes everything. It changes how we work. It changes how we rest. It changes what our relationships are like. It changes uh, what we dream for, where we put our energy, what we invest in. It changes everything. The essence of following Jesus here and now in this world is cooperating with the reconciliation of heaven and earth in the next, the two coming together. We are called by Jesus today to be people of the future in the present. We're called to be people of the future, the future renewed creation in the present. And so if the eternal city is about gathering all the praises of creation, and if there's a fountain of healing and, uh, uh, for, the, for the nations, then that says, that, that says everything about our work now. What we do in the present, whether it's painting or preaching or singing or sewing or praying or teaching or building hospitals or um, campaigning for justice or writing poems or caring for the needy or whether it's loving our neighbor, all of those things, whatever you do in the present, will last into God's future. These activities are not just simply ways of making this present life feel a little less boring, (laughs) a little more bearable, until the day when it all suddenly ramps up and gets really exciting. That's not what our life now is about. Our lives now are about being people of the future in the present, part of building for God's kingdom. N.T. Wright, um, who's a a great theologian, writes some really accessible commentaries on the Bible. Again, I'd really um, endorse those to you. If you wanted to um, have a a kind of a companion book to reading a bit of the Bible, um, Tom Wright is uh, is really, really helpful for that. It's Tom Wright who says, we are part of building for God's kingdom. And I love that language. I think uh, that middle word is really important. We're we're part of God's building for the new creation, for God's kingdom. We can't build God's kingdom. We just can't do it. It's his kingdom. He is the king. Only he can do it. Jesus uh, has got that covered. But we can build for the kingdom. You and I, our lives can become like bricks. 
They can become like bricks that we give over to the master builder, to the creator, and he can find a way to enfold them and to build them into his masterpiece. Our lives can be built together by God's power to be part of his masterpiece. And so you and I are like modern day Adams or Eves. This world is what's left of the garden. That's uh, what Megan was telling us uh, on Wednesday morning. Was it yesterday morning? Oh my word, so much has happened. Um, this world now, this where we live now, is what is left of the Garden of Eden. And your job and mine is to take all the raw materials that are spread out in front of us and work them and care for what is in front of us, to rule and subdue what is in front of us, to wrestle with and steward, to explore and to continue the creation project, to take forward the creation project and bring life wherever we can. When you head out to work or college or school or you prepare to uh, do any of those things, may it be apprenticeships or weekend jobs, remember you are not just doing that job. You're not just a designer with a cl- for a clothing label. You are a partner with God, taking the human project forwards. You're not just a mum or a dad getting your kids off to school or reading a story before bed. You are raising up new people to image God in this world, to grow in wisdom, to grow in understanding, to grow in love. You are not just a contractor working long and hard days in uh, the hot and the cold to build houses. You are cultivating the earth. You are drawing out its potential and you are reshaping the world into an environment for people to live as God intended. You're not just a student going to class. You're not just uh, a train operator going to the station or a software engineer working on a new app or a chef coming up with a new recipe or a scientist in the lab. You're not even just uh, a checkout assistant at the supermarket or an entrepreneur working out a crazy idea. Paul says to the Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all your hearts as if you were working for the Lord. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Dave is going to talk about our inheritance and our reward tomorrow morning. But Paul says, whatever it is that you do, you're working towards that new heaven, that new earth. And work at it. Work at it because you are working for the Lord. Folks, God is going to reward all the good work that is done in his name. Even if it's not sexy or glamorous or hip or prestigious, even if no one remembers, even if your work isn't rescuing kids out of the sex trade 
or writing music or teaching at a massive university or filmmaking, which let's face it, they're all the cultural renewal things that we kind of fantasize about and dream about that we might make a difference with something like that, really prestigious that everybody knows about. Even if your work is washing dirty dishes in the back of a cheap restaurant, it will be rewarded as long as it is done for Jesus. As long as you're working for Jesus, not just to get a paycheck and do the minimum and just get to the end of the day and the end of your shift. But work at it as an act of worship and as a sign of that renewal that is coming. last bit now this is like a really um, cheesy phrase here which I'm about to use but it's another great one to write down <laughs> Dallas Willard says we are training for reigning we're training for reigning Folks, by definition of where you live and where you have grown up, you are among the wealthiest 2% of the whole world. The schools that you go to, the church that you go to, the colleges that you go to are of such a high standard. They have given you an incredible amount of opportunities that so many other young people in this world do not get. I'm not here to give you a guilt trip at all. I'm here to tell you that you, every one of you in this room, whether you feel like it or not, you are a leader. You are a leader by definition of the place that you have grown up in, the school, the college that you've been to, the family that raised you, the church that you now are belonging to. You are a leader. God has a purpose and an identity for you, but he also wants you to bring about his kingdom right now. And you've already had opportunities, you've already had mentoring, you've already belonged to a community that makes you different, already cuts you out to be the one that goes first. And I believe in every single one of you. That means absolutely nothing to you tomorrow when you go home and maybe possibly never see me again. <laughs> I hope that I do see you again because it's been a real deep joy to be with you. More than just me believing in you, more than just in any of your leaders here believing in you, Lord, the sovereign of heaven and earth, believes in you and has given you the opportunities and the privilege to make change in this world today. And he says that our work in this life is practice for our work that is coming in the life to come. 
In one sense, what we do now matters all by itself. We can be leaders. We can bring about change in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can call forward that beautiful, glorious ending and give a glimpse of it here on earth today. But in another sense, when Dallas Willard says we are training for reigning, as cheesy as it sounds, he is spot on. Right now, we are learning the skills that we will need forever in God's new world. In Revelation 21, we read about this garden city, the kings of the earth bringing in their splendor and the nations coming in, the glory and the honor all being brought to God's temple. And we remember, don't we, in Genesis 1, just as Megan told us, that as Adam and Eve are created, they are created to rule, to look after creation, to steward it, to make it flourish. And after a long and drawn-out detour through human history, the Bible ends with this vision coming to pass that we will reign with God forever. Revelation, this last book of the Bible, is absolutely full of royalty language. Here we go. We're going to go really quickly. Just going to give you five references. Revelation 1.6, God has made us a kingdom and priests. Revelation 3.21, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, says the Lord. Revelation 5.10, they will reign on the earth, they being you and me. Revelation 20, verse 6, they, you and me, will reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 22, 5, we've just read, they will reign forever and ever. I also want to encourage you, just as I've told you that you are all leaders, you might be really tempted to think that now you are not a leader because you are a teenager. You feel like, as a young person, that you don't have a voice in this world or you've got to wait until you're X number of years old, maybe, before people start listening to you. Uh, the truth is, folks, um, you have more of a voice than uh, generations before you have ever had. You can, you can cause change in this world right now, just as you are absolutely today, tomorrow, the weeks and months to come. And uh, 1, 1 Timothy 4 tells us this. Paul writes, uh, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example. Lead. Lead the way. Set an example, he says, in speech, in life, in love, and in purity. Set an example. Our future hope isn't just that Jesus will rule the universe at the end of time. It is that we will rule by his side. Folks, God is looking for people to rule the world with him. God is looking for people to rule the world with him. Right now, you and I are becoming those kinds of people as we follow Jesus. We are learning how to fight laziness with hard work. We are learning how to fight workaholism, working ourselves to the bone with Sabbath, 
with good rhythm and rest. We're learning how to handle money and sex and power. We're learning how to deal with technology and information in a digital age. And we are learning how to live in this earth and not get crushed under its weights or fall prey to its seduction. And even if those are skills of character that we're learning now for the new creation, I would even suggest that we are learning skills of craft for the new creation as well. Isaiah and Amos are both really clear that even in the new heavens and the new earth, we will build houses. There will be places for us to live in the age to come. And theoretically, that means we're going to need architects and contractors and electricians and plumbers and cabinet makers and furniture makers and interior designers. And we go on down the list in order to continue to build this beautiful city where God's glory radiates and shines out. We are going to need, we're going to need the crafts that we've, that we've learned here in this, in this world at this time. And so if you're an architect now and you love your work, you enjoy it and you feel like you're good at it, who's to say that you won't love it and do it for eternity? Who's to say that you won't take that with you? As you go to work each day, as you prepare now for... um, as you prepare now and as you work out what it is you want to give your life to, whether that's one occupation or many, you're not just working out how to make a better world now. You're learning skills that one day in the future will be used to perfect God's better worlds. Whoever you become in this life, Will carry you can carry that forward into the next life. You take the person that you become with you into God's future. And so we kind of come to the end of the end. Oh, oh, you did it without being prompt. Thanks. <laughs> you made me feel better. We kind of come to the end of the end here, folks. I know I've challenged you quite a bit this evening or this afternoon, or whatever time it is. Um, The curtains are closed. (laughs) Um, I know I've challenged you quite a bit that that you're a leader, that you don't have to wait um, for later in your life to be influential. You can do that now. You have a voice now. And God is calling you to be a person of the future, to bring some of that new creation, a glimpse of that, the heavens and the earth, the beauty and the perfection, into this world now. So if the end of our story and the end that we're living for is that everything is going to be restored and renewed, it has everything to say about how we live today. And one final challenge for you. Whatever you end up doing, wherever you uh, take your opportunities and your influence and your leadership, Wherever you worship God, your job in that place is, uh, is, is not just to talk to other people about Jesus. That is so important and that is, that is amazing. But that is not your, um, your only calling. 
in that, uh, in that industry, in that place. Your role in those industries is not just telling other people about Jesus. Let, let's think about the banking industry for a moment. Your role in the banking industry is not just to tell other bankers about Jesus. It's about the renewal of the banking industry. It's about fighting the cycles that promote greed and finding better ways to manage money. And those in education, it's not just about getting grades and rating people, but it's about developing young people that can flourish and grow in wisdom. Let's think about fashion. It's not just about exploiting people or self-image, but it's about understanding and imaging a more beautiful fullness of life. Our job now as God's agents of reconciliation and renewal is to live and work and rest in such a way that we build for God's coming kingdom. To be people of the future in the presence. People in the future. People in the people of the future in the present. I'm tired, let's finish. Do you want to stand together? Thank you so much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure um, to talk about this hilariously layered onion with you. There have been a lot of layers, haven't there? Who's feeling like the, the onion's making them a bit teary? <laughs> it's been a bit much. <laughs> Guys, you have done so, so well. I just want to pray for you now. It's kind of like um, the like the last thing that I get to do really for you. Um, I want to pray for you as a leader. I'm a leader. I'm about to become uh, a vicar in a church in Farnborough. And I want to pray for you as you are leaders in this world too. Leader to leader. So let's close our eyes. Just focus again on um, the goodness of God, his perfect creation and his throne. And then all of those good things in your life, the opportunities, the school, the family, the church, the traveling, all those amazing things that you have um, been able to do already, the way that your mind has been stretched, the confidence that you have to step out into this world. And another opportunity just to say yes to Jesus, that you want to follow him, that you want to live this life in the present, for him. And Jesus, I pray for these young people here this evening. I thank you, God, for them. I thank you for the way that you are reflected in them. That you have made them so beautifully and perfectly and vividly. God, I praise you for the way that they love you 
and the way that they love each other. And I pray, Jesus, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit right now. Pour into them your Holy Spirit. That they may be leaders, people of the future, of your new heavens and your new earth. People of the future, here in the present. And I pray that you would give them all courage and all joy and all resilience to live out your good news, your beautiful, good beginning and our glorious ending. And to tell the world about you, Jesus. Give them all courage and comfort and strength to be leaders for you in this world. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, I pray. 